Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life Zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind we try to keep our podcast around PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. And as always, I'm Emily D. I'm Kenzie. I'm Emily. And I'm Abby. Katie will be back with us next week, but with that, let's talk about stuff. Whoop, whoop. Love it. Well, All first right. off, we've got a fan shout out. Uh, we want to thank Jennifer and Morgan, who responded to our Instagram poll and gave us some great suggestions for future episodes. So stay tuned, y'all. Excellent. They Morgan gave us like five different prompts, so I'm excited to dive into those. Um, let's see. Uh, conservation updates. We have a few, but they're going to be worked in into our beluga news and other, uh, I think, hyena news this week. So special news segments following. Um, but we're going to jump into zoo news first. So what do you got, Abby? Can, well, can I just say, first of all, that like this, ep- this podcast is going to turn into half of just our first episode, but shorter, still making arguments every week. And then the other half, like what we're actually supposed to focus on. This whole podcast is basically just me trying to convince the entire world that belugas are the best, but that's okay. I don't think they're bad. I just like porcupines better. That's but fine. Anyway, um, so in zoo news, we've got a lot of zoo news, and you know what? It's all good news this week. Ooh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm very happy. So the first news is one that is probably the most like prominent zoo news and that is there was a baby panda born at the national zoo yesterday <laughs> which is very cool um even though like as zoo professionals we all have like this weird relationship with pandas we're still pretty excited because baby pandas are really cute and they're like says a stick of butter so it's they're crazy. so small they're bananas um this is the mom's fourth baby and they did her pregnancy through AI, which is pretty cool because pandas have that weird deal where they where don't, they just don't want to make babies. They don't want to do anything yep. is what it gets down to. <laughs> well, and uh, I read um, that like they they did the AI back in March and they didn't know if it took. And literally last week they did an ultrasound and they were like, hey, there's a baby. She's going to have her baby like within a day or three. All right. Zoo news number two is my favorite zoo news of the week. Um, this is just something that I came across on Instagram. The Alaska Sea Life Center and the Marine Mammal Rescue are having an otter off on Instagram. Both of them have recently. It's it, it's so good. They both recently rescued baby sea otters, Ooh. and so they're they're having a battle of which one is cuter. Little which floofs. Is the greatest battle <laughs> on earth. Like there's nothing better, right? I would agree. So. Um, it's an otter off between Lupine and Joey. They're both little otter boys. So if you Google the hashtag otter off, you can see all the posts from it and it will make your entire day happier. That brings my heart joy. Yeah. We could definitely use some serotonin. I, I enjoy that. Yes. Um, <laughs> just all kinds of noises today. It's ding fun. dong, ding dong. It scared my cat. Well, it's not my cat, but you, you get know. the idea. <laughs> All right. uh, Cape May County Park Zoo in New Jersey had their very first cotton top tamarind baby, and it's so cute. 
we have a friend who works there and she was very excited she's like that is my zoo look at the baby we were all like ah. so it's just very a good, excited good for week them. for cute animals yes mm-hmm. and speaking of cute animals maybe not tiny but big cute animals the indianapolis zoo has recently opened um this is an exhibit design news which is one day we'll do that episode and i'll just be so happy um but this is a new exhibit called Tembo Camp. Tembo is the word for elephant in Swahili. And it is an experience where they have expanded their elephant exhibit. And it's a more interactive guest-like friendly exhibit. And you can pay to bathe an elephant. All right. I'm going. Who wants to come on the road trip with me? <laughs> me. That's the coolest thing. And it's completely safe. Um, I watched a news video from the uh, whatever news station was covering it. And, like, the reporter did it. And they are like, we're still able to do it, like, safe with, like, the COVID stuff. But it's just kind of a cool way for visitors to interact with the animals. Especially a big one like an elephant, which is, as Katie would say, big, sexy megafauna. And there's no better way to, like... <laughs> get people excited about it than being like here want to help do like a zookeeper job like this is something that we have to do so if you live in indianapolis go to the zoo do the elephant bathing and then come tell us what it was like because it sounds amazing sounds amazing and that is my zoo news excellent we will jump into beluga news next if we Um, have to we always do you know it Um, this week, a little bit of sad beluga news. Um, so there's a population of belugas that live in Cook Inlet in Alaska. They are genetically distinct from other belugas. So they, um, like on the IUCN red list, they are considered endangered because, um, their population was as high as about 1300 to 1400 individuals in the eighties. Um, but they have now steeply declined and are continuing to decline rapidly. Um, just within the last year, they lost 30 of them and they think, Um, There's only about 270-ish of them right now, um, and they think that it's all due to water pollution. Uh, The Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation issued a permit, um, which is allowing mining waste in the area to be dumped directly into Cook Inlet. Um, And this is, I was reading, there's a lot of like technical chemical names that were in there. Um, but basically Ooh, chemistry, um, no one likes chemistry, right? Well, the chemicals are bioaccumulating in the whales and causing them to a, um, die off and b not have successful pregnancies. So sad. Um, so, you know, learn some more about belugas, learn some more about cook inlet. And I think there's Stop a petition dumping your out there. shit in the ocean. You know, is there a, is there a, pro, is there a petition anywhere or any movement trying to roll there back? Is. There's this? a petition to reverse the permit that they made. Um, I will see if I can find a link to it, but yes, there is a um, petition currently active that is trying to reverse the Department of Environmental Conservation's permit. Um, so that way they will not be able to dump the waste. Yes, that would be lovely. Also, <laughs> that is ironic name given the situation. Correct. We love that. We we love when conservation places do things that are not conservation related. Great. Money talks. Kids, money on. talks. Yeah. <laughs> MLA. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am crashing the party this week with hyena news. Or should I say? <laughs> Boo. All right, all you hyena loopers. <laughs> so finally someone gave hyenas the recognition they deserve um and talked about them in depth specifically about a lot of the common misconceptions about them 
like how a lot of people don't think that they're um, intelligent or social or skilled hunters. Um, But basically, this article and the TED Talk covers that. Um, It's called Everything You Know About Hyenas is Wrong. These animals are fierce, social, and incredibly smart. It is by Lucy Cook. So I encourage you to look it up and watch her TED Talk and read the article, too. Maybe we can go and post a, a link to all those things on our Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Good plan. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. Can I say something really quick, though, that I just saw? Jump morning? in. Go for this it. Is, this is very – it's another zoo news, but, like, really, really good zoo news. So do you guys know where the GW Zoo is? Have you heard of that zoo before? It rings the bell. It's ringing a bell, but I couldn't place it on a map. Well, you wouldn't want to go there because it's of Tiger King fame. Oh, is it the one they um, closed? They just closed it down. Oh, thank God. Oh, well, so this, I, I have a friend that is a zookeeper and shared information about this. And yes, it's good that that zoo is no longer operating. However, the slate of it is, is that now that the zoo is no longer recognized as a zoo. They don't have to follow USDA rules. So this means that these animals are under private care now and private ownership. And the owners can do lit- literally whatever they want with them. Yes. So that is the caveat, unfortunately. We don't want to shut down all the zoos in the world. <laughs> no. Um, but I think that what, what the message that this is sending, though, I think that's really important, is that because everyone who I thought watched Tiger King and got it was like, I would never go to that zoo. It's awful. But it attracted so many Mm -hmm. people after it started opening back up again. Even that loss of income will hopefully, and even PETA in the article that I saw was quoted saying, I hope they're moved to more appropriate facilities. If PETA's saying that, you know it was bad. Yeah. Because PETA is definitely very anti-zoo, but even they were like, this is... And what did I just say? Money talks, kids? Yes. Money does talk. So don't donate to GW Zoo because they are not doing what you think they're doing. Mm -mm. Or they are and you don't care and that's awful too. Or (laughs) Big Cat Rescue. All right. Let's get into this week's topic, which I think is really fun. Um, This week we are going to be doing, like I said, we are missing Katie this week. So we are doing kind of like a little mini episode. It will probably not be as long as some of our others. But we are going to be, basically, the prompt is, if you could go back in time and save an animal from extinction, which animal would you save and why? Um, So we're going to be um, pretending like we're all Kenzie and capable of time travel. Um, (laughs) If you guys, if listeners, if you don't know, Kenzie is a time traveler. I have yep. substantial evidence to back this up. Just it's you been know, confirmed. Just DM the I Instagram and I'll let have... you know. You can't let them know. About... <laughs> they all they need to know, Kenzie. The world needs to know. I'm here to expose you. Kenzie has lived like a hundred lives. Yes. The things that this woman can do and has done and will do incredible. Blows your mind. Yes. Every time. I will. I am exceedingly flattered, uh, but we'll discuss my time travel capabilities at a later date. We did have quite a lot of animals that we could have chosen because many animals have gone extinct in recent memory. Thanks, humans, for being the worst. Um, but these are the ones yeah. we have chosen to talk about today. And I believe first up to state their case is Kinsey. 
Oh, it's me. All right. I'm a traveler, so you've actually seen this animal. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) All right, boys, girls, and folks who may not identify on the gender spectrum in a traditional way. (laughs) So has anyone heard of the Irish elk before? I've heard of Ireland, and I've heard of elk. I have not heard of the two combined. Okay, has anyone anyone seen Lord of the Rings? The Hobbit? Negative. Oh, I I had a boyfriend that loved it so much that one time... We had a nine-week marathon, and every night we watched a di- or every weekend we watched a different one, and it turned me off Lord of the Rings. I know it's really sad. I would love to get back into it and like like it, but it turned me off so fast. You know what? I I don't blame that. That it's that a can lot happen. to digest in your brain. It was a lot in my brain. It is, yeah. You got to be eased into it sometimes. But anyways, uh, for our friends out there who are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, specifically the newer movies of The Hobbit, you might recall a scene something very similar to what an Irish elk is. But I chose this because I actually, one, am a nerd. Surprise. But I also saw one when I was visiting the American Museum of Natural History up in New York. They had a skeleton model of one, and I just remember standing there looking up at it and going, that's a big deer you know what when when i was in when i was in london and i went to the natural history museum there i think i saw a skeleton of one there i think that's why i know what it is Mm -hmm. pretty sure well fun fact did you know that the irish elk is actually not an elk that's like how mountain goats are not even goats they're sheep (laughs) they're antelope yeah that's like the animal that's that i'm going to talk about is not actually what it sounds like it is. My animal is what it sounds like it is. (laughs) Well, what if it's not an elk, what is it, Kenzie? So it's just a really, really large deer. It was the largest deer to ever have existed. So from its hooves to its shoulder, it stood about seven feet tall. And its antlers from tip to tip could spread anywhere from about 12 to 13 feet. But here's another thing. It's it continues to be a misnomer because Technically, even though it's called the Irish elk, and that's where it was mostly found, uh, they had a really large range. They could be found everywhere across Europe, Northern Asia, and even into Northern Africa. And these guys mostly lived on grassy plains, which makes sense because when you have an antler rack that big, uh, imagine it's kind of hard to go tramping through the underbrush without getting caught on it. I don't... So... Interesting thing, though, about the antlers, there's been a couple theories as to why the quote-unquote Irish elk had such large antlers. Well, looking at modern deer, uh, what scientists currently believe or theorize is that the antlers were used for sexual displays. So you know how uh, maybe we have some listeners out there who like to go deer hunting. You guys will go out in the fall. You see all the big bucks with their nice big antlers and they score off against each other. And it's a way for them to show to potential mates saying, hey, I'm really fit physically. I have good genetics. I will be able to provide a genetically sound offspring for you. So that's kind of what it was supposed to be uh, while also being used potentially as defense or as a way to dominate rival competitors. So what exactly caused these magnificent beasts, though? To disappear from the earth. Anyone have any suggestions? Um, could it possibly be that the climate is changing? Yes, uh, there is evidence to show that people did hunt the Irish elk. I mean, what didn't they hunt? What don't we hunt still today? Correct. Um, but the big theory is that it was climate change. 
So climate change led to a decrease in their habitat. Their habitat became more forested instead of grassy. And like we said earlier, these guys really have a bit of a hard time moving around in these forested areas. And of course their food source is going off or not going off is going away. So essentially they end up starving to death. So yeah, it is a little sad, but here's where it's a little interesting. So it's mostly thought the majority of them or at least over in Ireland, they died out almost 1200 years ago. And then there's been fossils found in Siberia dating back only seven to 8,000 years ago. And that was actually during a warmer climate period as well. So there's still some debate in the community exactly how these elk disappear. There's probably a number of factors um, that I'm sure geography played into as well. So yeah. Wow. Irish elk. We love, awesome. we love giant deer. Mm -hmm. Go watch The Hobbit. There's that scene with Thranduil, the king and the elves, riding a magnificent Irish elk. It's fantastic. All right. I think there's one in Narnia too somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were like best buds. Yeah. Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien literally made a tree based off of C.S. Lewis in the, in the original trilogy. What if but, What if Narnia and The Hobbit are like in the same universe? That'd be a fun crossover. I'm sure someone's written fan fiction of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, so we've got the Irish elk, and next up, the animal that I would choose to save is, of course, a marine animal. Um, I did look into extinct whales, but there's, like, hundreds and hundreds of extinct whales, and I couldn't pick one out. So I went with a sirenian, and if you don't know what sirenians are, that is the group that includes manatees and dugongs. So the animal I'm choosing to save if I go back in time is the Sellers sea cow. So it's the Sellers so sea cow, they're enormous. They are basically this gigantic manatee animal that lived up in the Arctic um, near the, in the Bering Sea near Alaska. Now, these guys were enormous. They could be up to like 30 feet long, which think of like a killer whale, but a manatee, like a, oh boy. Like a, a killer whale sized manatee. That's almost as big as a school that bus. Is, they're enormous. Um, I don't. They, that is, I don't know uh, if I like big this cow. one. I don't know if I like him. I, he scares me. <laughs> um, but they weighed up to 10 tons. So that's like 20,000 pounds of manatee. Wait, um, that doesn't make me feel I, better. I, well, they're, they're herbivores. I, so, okay, let's, let's talk this out, kids. What do manatees eat? Plants. Herbivores. Plants, that's right. And so what did the stellar sea cow eat? Probably some oh, something. Plants, yeah. So manatees, <laughs> they eat um, sea grasses and algae, and the cellar sea cow eats kelp, which is the marine vegetation of choice up there. Um, they likely did not have any predators due to their enormous size um, and the fact that they were positively buoyant, which means that they couldn't fully submerge. So, like, manatees can dive down, uh, you know, a little ways. The cellar sea cow was not capable of that. Did they not have the um, the dense bones that like manatees and dugongs have um i'm not too sure but they the reason that they're so positively buoyant is because they had so much fat because it was so cold <laughs> um now wait did... so i googled a picture of a cellar sea yes. cow and you guys are gonna die at what comes up because uh listeners the place that we work at has manatees um and we commonly get a misidentification and when i googled the picture a walrus. Of came course up. it did. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> They're not walruses. They're not. That's like that. That recent like 
who posted Discovery Channel. Discovery yes. Channel, yeah. And they said, I don't remember what they said it was supposed to be, but it was a walrus. They was said, like, they said it was like, which, uh, what your zodiac sign, like what sea creature are you? And for Libras, they gave them a manatee and the description was of a manatee, but the little photo icon was a walrus. A Discovery Channel. Oh, okay. like, I know they're not the most accurate, but come on. Abby, I want you to know that I went as far as trying to find somebody I could call at the Discovery Channel to complain about it. <laughs> bothered me I was everyone that I knew even people who like weren't animal people were like hold on that's not what a manatee looks like like what the hell I was very bothered by this as well um back to stellar sea cow they did go extinct pretty recently actually um they were discovered in 1741 by an explorer named George Stellar so that's why it's called stellar sea cow um but not even 30 years later in 1768 they were extinct um this is because they were exploited for food um, they would harvest them for their fat and burn it for, um, like, oil and lamps and stuff. Um, and the interesting thing, though, is that there's a lot of evidence that says that at the time they were discovered, they were on their way out anyway. There was They estimate their population when they were discovered was only about 1,800 animals. Um, and this is because, like Kenzie said, the world at that time was changing. The weather was changing. The water's getting warmer. Harder for them to find their food. Um, and so they existed in the Pleistocene era, which is like when mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, those big, sexy, like, Ice Age megafauna. Um, and <laughs> the stellar sea cow is a part of that. But they did go extinct because of human activity. So they are considered a casualty of the Holocene, which is our current, um, like, biological era. And it is the extinction that humans are basically inflicting on this planet. So good on you, humans. You done did another one. And I just think they're cute, though. They're so big. They're so giant manatee. I just... Here's the thing, though. Like, I... I get it. It's very large. But I also just, like... If I just saw a bunch of rocks floating at me, and then I, like, was like, oh, I'll, like, swim here, and it was just this giant animal, I would be freaked out a little bit. Like, it just kind of freaks me out. They're cute. I think they're he's cute. Like, he's, like, double a manatee. He's so big. Why is he so big? All right, guys. So I have the Tasmanian tiger. Um, and like I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, they're not a tiger. You <laughs> know they're called a Tasmanian they tiger. They're stripey. Um, they are stripey. What if it was a Tasmanian uh, zebra? That would also be incorrect because they're not from Africa. <laughs> um, but <laughs> they're from Australia. Um, and they were actually a carnivorous marsupial. Oh. Right? I didn't even know that until today. It was very interesting. I was obsessed with learning about these guys when I was little. <laughs> um, but in fact, they were actually the world's largest carnivorous uh, marsupial, which is pretty interesting. Um, so that is just a little introduction about them. But how did they go away? Well, um, excessive hunting, of course, <laughs> was the leading cause of their extinction. Um, but habitat destruction and introduction of diseases from domestic animals, cough, cough, feral dogs, um, were factors as well. Um, but people hunted them because they attacked their livestock like sheep. Uh, the government even paid people to hunt no. them. So if any of you have seen Game of Thrones, this is the time that you go, shame. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways 
Um, they were described like the Tasmanian tiger were described as hunters who turned their prey inside out. And, um, I'm going to hit y'all with a plot twist here. Uh, recent studies show that their jaws were unable to hunt something of the size like sheep and likely couldn't have hunted anything larger than a possum. Wow. Amazing. Well, everyone has their yep. niche, right? And like, why would, why would it need to hunt a sheep? Because those aren't native to Australia either. Like, they're probably the biggest thing. Well, it's livestock. It was people's livestock. Oh. So they were retaliating. Well, um, then they but, just like I said, <laughs> they didn't. Yeah, they didn't eat the sheep. Um, it was also noted that they were extremely timid and would avoid humans. Uh, so that's like comparable to like coyotes are the same way. Um, but back to them not actually being the culprits of consuming livestock. Um, fair were proved to be the culprits. I'm so disappointed. I mean, do you so, want to get into feral bird, like feral cats now? Because that's like my. We, that's a whole nother episode. It is. <laughs> you know, just Someone feral cats? domestic pets. <laughs> yes. Well, here's because here's my issue is like the reason that it bothers me so much is it's, it's obvious like we've done it before. And we're and humans are still like, well, eh, that's fine. And you're what like, is it? Those not, who don't learn know. are doomed to repeat it. Oh, oh boy. Well, <laughs> anyway. So like I was saying, they were wrongfully convicted and stereotyped. Uh, the last Tasmanian tiger uh, unfortunately died of neglect in 1936 at a zoo in Hobart, Australia. Um, caveat this by saying, remember, listeners, the 1930s did not have zoos like what we have today. So... I will say that caveat. <laughs> um, but it is, I tried looking up to find like what Tasmanian tigers, like if we lost them or when we lost them, like what is the chain effect? And I actually couldn't find very much information. So my guess is that just because of the era that they were going extinct um, during that time, people didn't really have much of an investment in conservation or, um, really researching much about animals, especially ones that they didn't like. <laughs> um, but Australia today is still losing species at an alarming rate. So it is possible that there is a negative effect to losing the Tasmanian tigers, but we'll just never really know. Um, but if you want more proof on why Tasmanian tigers uh, were important and still are. Um, again, it's a TED Talk <laughs> and an article called Seven Reasons Why We Should Bring Back the Tasmanian Tiger. Um, it's a paleontologist who argues that it is our moral duty to bring back animals who we have directly caused their extinction. So if you'd like to learn more, that's a great uh, listen or watch or read. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to have like a list a mile long of links after this episode. I know. <laughs> but um, in a classic bird birder fashion, uh, Abby, what are you going to talk about? Um, so I was going to talk about dinosaurs. Amazing. 12 out of 10. Just kidding. Um, well, ki- not really, though. <laughs> kind of kidding. <laughs> Um, I'm talking about the dodo bird, of course. 
Oh, the dodo bird. What was their purpose, Abby? Um, okay, <laughs> well, number one, to make Ice Age the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> it's their first purpose. You're not wrong. Uh, that's where I first like, learned about dodo birds. And turns out, Ice Age, not the most accurate portrayal of dodo birds, you guys. You mean to tell me Ice Age what? is not scientifically accurate? <laughs> not really. Um, you mean to tell me that animals didn't ride on the backs of mammoths, or a child didn't ride on the back of a mammoth and make it their best? Friend. You I mean to tell me there's not a little squirrel with an acorn like running around, slamming it into glaciers? <laughs> actually causing the ice age <laughs> well i'm gonna kind of debunk some of the things that like god i wish ice age was true but like because maybe the photo the, the dodos would have had a chance um so to understand like what was going on with them you gotta understand like where they came from right their backstory um dodo birds are from the island of mauritius which is a little tiny island east of madagascar and they, their ancestors were thought to have arrived on the island about 8 million years ago, which is, I believe, after the Ice Age, the last one, number one. And number two, they were only found on the island of Mauritius. So, I don't think they've ever seen a mammoth before. Dang it. Oh. But they might have seen okay. some melons, so, who knows? Some melon. <laughs> melon. It's my favorite line from that entire movie. It's so good. Um, oh boy. So the first accounts of birds of these birds on Mauritius dated back in 1598. Before then, Mauritius was unoccupied by any humans. So there were not like native people that lived there or anything. It was just an island of dodo birds and like some forests, and that was it. Um. These birds are mentioned. Wow, <laughs> we're good. We're gonna keep going. These birds are members of the pigeon family. <laughs> I did not know that. You know, it all makes sense now. <laughs> it, here's the thing, though. So, uh, you wouldn't look at them and see pigeon because they are about three feet tall. Jamie, they weigh about forty pounds. Oh my god! Which uh. for a bird, even like three foot tall birds, usually are only going to weigh, like, max 10 pounds. Do they because have of their... big bones? <laughs> well, they pro- I don't... Didn't see, but I don't think that they had the hollow, quote-unquote, hollow bones that other um, flighted birds do. But they're also flightless, so they don't really need to be light, right? They lived in, like, the dry coastal areas of Mauritius, and they lived kind of in the forest area, so being robust was like an advantage for them right because they could run through undergrowth they actually this okay this is a very funny fact that i found that scientists say that dodo birds have robust knees <laughs> which i want is, that i want that in my like description of myself as robust robust knees, knees. <laughs> but it helps them like <laughs> run through the undergrowth better apparently but i just really enjoyed they said that they had robust <laughs> knees so that brings um, me joy it, you know, it's whatever sparks joy, and that fact is staying in my marine condo box. Uh, so, dodo birds traditionally by media have been seen as dumb or stupid, which I'm sure is partially Ice Age's fault as well. Um, 
Because the only other place that I've seen like, but a I mean, dodo in the media is like Alice in Wonderland. And that dodo wasn't necessarily stupid. He was just oblivious, which is different. But like, if you look up a picture of a dodo bird, <laughs> they do look really dumb. Um, but there's evidence that said they had the same brain to body ratio as pigeons. And like, not that pigeons aren't stupid. But they're not, like, like the dodos weren't just, like, I'm going to go, like, run into the ocean and then drown. Oh, no. Or, like, I'm going to try to fly. Like, they're not <laughs> that level of dumb, which I think is what people think. And it's not really true. Um, so why did dodo birds go extinct? Does anybody want to guess? Was it uh, people being the worst? Yes. Do you know why? What? What? What thing? What factor do you think was like their major cause for extinction? Was it because have, they didn't really have any natural predators, so they didn't have any instilled fear of us? Question mark. Question um, mark. So that's the that was a common theory for a really long time. Is ah. that um, people like? It's still commonly believed that dodos had no fear. It's like when we talked about the penguin. Like, I think it was last we talked about the penguin yeah. who, like, is like, human, what do you? I don't have any things on land I'm scared of. Um, so they were, apparently were very friendly towards people. Um, but there was a common theory out there that people ate them so much that they just killed them all to eat them. Which, like, eh, fair. But then recent evidence, um, when you look at it, they kind of put the pieces together and they're like, ah, oh, it wasn't that because the population on Mauritius of um, European settlers never reached above 50 people. And so how could a population of 50 people like make a whole, not that saying they couldn't, it's, it's not a challenge for anybody out there. Please don't try it. But like, it's unlikely that this population of people in just over a hundred years made an entire species go extinct just from eating them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So instead, the more recent evidence suggests that mostly invasive species were the problem. Um, of course. Along with habitat destruction. Listeners, if you so, haven't heard us go on and on and on about why invasive species are the worst, please refer back about seven episodes. Yes. So on Mauritius, when the Europeans decided to put people on the formerly remote island, they brought dogs, pigs, cats, rats, and crab-eating macaques. That's actually one of the more famous examples of an invasive species is the crab-eating macaques on Mauritius. They're not supposed to be there. Um, Wait, but like, what was the purpose of bringing a wild cat? Like, I don't get it. I don't either, but, like, Europeans be doing European <laughs> stuff, I guess. You're not wrong. I have no idea. Maybe it was a pet thing. Maybe it was, like, well, we want to keep rats out of our houses, because that's cats have been used for that for ages. So I'm sure that the intentions weren't, like, oh, we're going to run out these birds, but, like, you know, the side effects are that um, because they had dogs, pigs, cats, rats, monkeys, they were cutting down the forest to, like, make room for their farming and then that's where the Dota birds liked to live. And so they didn't have spots to live. Um, there is still evidence that people ate them, but it just wasn't a ton because they had all these other animals that they knew how to eat and prepare anyway. So why would you, you know, eat something different? Mm-hmm. So the last Dodo, 
the the last dodo that was like uh, the last well-recorded sighting of a dodo was in 1662 so people (laughs) this wasn't that long ago it just wasn't that makes me really sad um they probably best estimate says they go they went extinct in 19 in 1693 but it could have been earlier it could have been later we don't know for sure um and so it's just i'm sad because like these birds didn't do anything to anyone they didn't live anywhere else and so there it wouldn't be like a bad thing to like have them again you know what i mean they're just these big dumb birds you said <laughs> that, it not like, me that they were these big dumb birds <laughs> that thought humans were kind of interesting looking and then we just killed them all and that's really it makes me really sad so um what's the conservation conversation for this one this episode we're talking about animals that went extinct but it's not like not going to happen every single day so there are many animals that will go extinct in our lifetime because of human impacts on animals and habitat loss so the the key word here is that these animals aren't extinct yet. And so there is still time. So when you hear an animal is like critically endangered, like the vaquita is a really good example, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're trying, there's only what they estimate less than 30 now. I think the most recent yeah. estimate is 12. 12. So you can oh, have yeah. like parties with more people during coronavirus than you, than we have vaquitas left in the world, which is startling. Um, but they're not extinct yet. So if we as humans can take actions to help actively save these animals and not use critically endangered or extinct in the wild as our like excuse for why we're not helping them because they're not gone yet, then we can help at least if we can't save that animal, we can at least make the world a better place for the other animals that live in that same habitat. And so that they won't go extinct. Yeah, so, well, that's you bring up a good point though with the vaquitas because, um, in saying that you know, actions that you take to help vaquitas will help other animals too. Because the big problem, the reason that vaquitas are going extinct is a type of net they use, um, in uh, like Baja California where these vaquitas live. Um, they use a gill net, which, um, is a really inhumane way of catching fish to begin with, but um, it also has very high rates of bycatch or things that they're not intending to catch. Um, so they're working on banning these gill nets in that area which will not only help the vaquitas, but it will also help every other marine animal in that area. So I guess even if the vaquita goes extinct, which is likely is, is probably going to happen. And if you like those vaquitas and you think they're cool, use that like anger as a mantra to still help save the animals in that area because they could be heading the same way or Mm -hmm. animals in a different Mm -hmm. area. Like Arctic ice is melting. Climate change is not a hoax. It is real. Um, there are thousands of animals that are going extinct every day because of human actions and we can reverse that decline, but it takes us making good choices. So I challenge everyone out there to research an animal that is critically endangered and see what you can personally do this week to help that animal. Because if you don't start now, you're never going to, and that's really a bummer. Don't be a bummer. Everybody can do some (laughs) little thing and it all makes a big difference. If we all just did right. a couple changes in our lives, we could turn the whole extinction around. But yeah, it's you true. know, 
you got to be able to convince people. And one of the little things you can do is yelling at your friends and being like, (laughs) hey, what if you didn't do that? Or what if you did this instead? Or like, what if we ate sustainable seafood? Or like every time I'm at a party and I see that there's no recycle bin, even though I know that there isn't, I'll say, where is your recycling bin? (laughs) Yeah. You get people to think. Getting people to think is important. Remind your friends to have recycling bins, even at their parties. It's um, not even so, hard. Yep. Uh, it's like I a suggestion. Go for yeah. it. Uh, so our listeners out there, something that'd be really cool is that you can post to our social media pages or email us what you guys are doing this week to help f- uh, save your favorite extinct species. Uh, post it on your social media because oftentimes the more visible something is, uh, the more attention it'll garner and the more minds you can help change. It's true. Um, we're also going to be posting um, some polls on our Facebook and Instagram this week um, to see yes. not only which extinct animal you would choose to bring back, but we'll ask those questions as well um, and share your posts with us. We love to see them. Yeah, mm-hmm. tag us. Also, uh, Kenzie celebrated a birthday this Woo-hoo! week. So happy birthday, Kenzie! Happy birthday! Yay! Yay! Kenzie! I am a quarter <laughs> of a century old, and I have already had so many life crises. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> this is why she's a time I think traveler. She's secretly 125 years old, but that's just me. Yeah. You know, um, well, next week our episode's going to be really, really good. Yes, and it'll Kenzie be our theme. present. That's to your Kenzie. teaser. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Go out there, stay sustainable. Woo! Bye! Bye! Bye!